Appreciate that, Eric. Well, I hope you all trust you all are uh, enjoying the weather. Am I on here? Good? All right. 70s. It's supposed to get a little cooler, but uh, it's better than the ice, isn't it? Although there's still limbs we have to dodge in the road, but that too shall pass. Well, it really is, truly is good to see everybody here this morning and to see a few faces I hadn't seen for a while. And I know that uh, you're pleased to be in the presence of God and God's redeemed people. Can't think of a better place to be in this world right now than with God's redeemed people. For it is with you that I will spend eternity. And this is just part of that long journey that we're on in our pilgrimage. Well, you can turn your Bibles to the book of Second Peter, please. And we have been studying this book the last several weeks. And the overall theme is, I believe, growing in the grace and knowledge of God to the glory of God. And we find this theme uh, as Peter shares his heart. He's writing this letter to saints, just as you are this morning. And in verse 3, and this actually, uh, Noah had this on the screen this morning. I walked into this and I thought, what a powerful verse. His divine power, Peter says, and God says to us this morning through his inspired word. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. Just in those, that small passage, look what God has granted. He's giving us things. You've heard of government grants. Everybody wants a government, well, not everybody, but some people really want a government grant where something is given to you. God grants us everything that we need that is important to Him. That is everything pertaining to life, everything pertaining to godliness, that is conforming to the image of Christ. So He grants us this. And the way that we grow, the way we understand this is through the knowledge of God. And to have the knowledge of God, He grants us God's promises, God's precious word. Peter, I think, if you read this short book through, you'll find that he does a really a great job at, at uh, repeating the importance or highlighting the importance that God's word plays in our Christian life. It's like almost every passage in this book mentions the importance of God's word or God's promises. It's important for us, therefore, to, and I hope that we get a little bit of a new vision of the importance of God's word this morning because it's something that we hear so much about, especially as evangelicals, that sometimes it loses its luster. And I hope that its luster is regained this morning. As we think about God's Word, and it is God's Word we know in Genesis that tells us that God created everything that you are, everything that you see by fiat. That is, He literally spoke it into existence. That's how powerful He is. And that's the role that God's Word plays in, in existence. 
And so it is by God's word. And Hebrews tells us that everything is upheld by the word of God. So he speaks it into existence. And then he, in his powerful word, just upholds it. He, he sustains it. Everything is suspended and functions and is designed according to the power of God's word. That's how important it is. So it keeps us together. It holds us together. It holds this universe in place so that every molecule is performing as it's intended to for the glory of God. But not only is, does it keep us alive in that sense, but it also, we are to hang on every word of God in that because we were lost and rebelled against the moral rule of God and the authority of God. It is God's word and his power speaking into our lives that's going to redeem it all again. That which was lost. So when God speaks, that same power that sustains things is the power that redeems things, the power that regains things. And the power of God's word is at work in our hearts and minds right now. Because that's what God is up to. That's what God, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, that's what they do with their eternal time right now. That's the season. It is the season of the good news and the gospel where there's an invitation for man to repent of his sins and acknowledge Christ as king. And in his grace and mercy, he sends conviction that makes us wiggle and makes us feel uneasy about not living lives that are in accord to his holy word. So I know that's what God is up to in all of our hearts and minds. And I know that's what God is up to in my mind. When God spoke all things into creation, he didn't just by the power of his word cause them to exist and then leave and say, see ya. You're on your own, like many deists believe. God is intimately involved in all of his creation. And particularly in the part of his creation that was created in his image. And that you only is mankind created in the image of God. Out of all of the creative things that he brought into existence. So God's word is important. The Christians have often been called people of the book. Because we have what God has spoken in this book. And so it's not a surprise that you can find Christians day and night looking into this book, gazing into this book, searching the pages of this book. For purpose, for meaning. For sustenance, for answers, for strength, for direction, for, for the lamp. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And all the things that life throws at us. This is a royal treasury. And so Christians, we, we mine God's word for the things that we need pertaining to life and godliness. It's no surprise because of God's word that when you enter into pretty much every Christian church, God's word is held preeminent. You're going to hear it taught. You're going to hear God's word preached and you're going to hear God's word sung. 
and participate in this. Things revolve around God's Word. Now, we don't do this, but in high church, um, I grew up in a Catholic church, and one of the things they do, of course, Catholicism is filled with symbolism, but before the service, so you're seated, before the, the Mass, what they call the Mass starts, the, uh, the priest and his choir, um, altar boys, whatever, they come up the aisle, but they enter the building like this. They're holding the book, God's Word, and it comes down the aisle and is put on the lectern, and that's to communicate that what is spoken comes from the very mouth of God. It's a high view, at least that symbolism is a high view of Scripture. So I really hope and trust that by the end of this message that we will have a a new appreciation, a new respect, and a new longing for God's written word, more so than what we walked into this place with this morning. So my sermon title is Understanding the Doctrine of... Uh, inspiration. Uh, what, what does it mean that, that God has spoken? What does it mean that God calls His Word inspired? And then, once we understand the doctrine of inspiration, uh, if, if what the Bible says about itself is true, then how do we as a people approach it? What does that mean? What, what, what do I do with it? What, how am I to look at it? How do I apply it? What is my view of Scripture? Is it safe? Is it dangerous? Should I avoid it? Should I love it? How do I approach God's Word? Let's look at our passage. I'm going to go ahead and read 16 through 21 in 2 Peter, the first chapter. But I'm just going to concentrate in the last verses. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ... But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention to, As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The last time we looked at 16 through 19, it talks about Peter's experience on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus revealed his deity in full form, where the the man clothes or the the man robes, if you will, the man flesh kind of, or the glory poked through or broke through the man flesh. And Peter saw it, and it was he—he's he, still amazed at what he saw on the man, Mount of Transfiguration, and he saw holiness, pureness, glory, but power. 
And he's talking about the second coming of Christ. And in his mind, based on what he saw with his own eyes, and not everybody got to see that, but also based on what was written in the Word of God, he knows that when Christ comes again in that form, things are going to happen. And he is conveying to the saints, pay attention. This is going to happen. It is all written in God's Word. Today, he adds something to this that we have to know about God's Word. First of all, he says, knowing first of all. No prophecy of Scripture. None of it comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. It wasn't his idea. He didn't say, this would be a great thing to add to this book. This would be a great thing for my neighbors to know. Men spoke from God. That's how we have the Word of God. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So in other words, we have to understand this truth, this, this doctrine. It's a doctrine, it's, it's a truth, it's a, it's a belief. And the doctrines of the Christian church are beliefs taken from the truths of God's Word that we ascribe to. This is something that we need as believers to ascribe to. We have to understand why and how God's Word is, uh, is true. It's without error and it's fallible. It's trustworthy. Peter is telling the saints, saints to, this is what you need to be focusing on when it comes to the things of life and paying attention to. And then when we understand how reliable it is, how true it is, how, how important it is for us, then we have to decide how we're going to approach it, what we're going to do with this royal treasury that God has granted to us. So, to put it bluntly, this is important to everybody in here because... The way we view Scripture absolutely is affecting the way we're living our lives this very minute. It's just the way it works. It's the way life works. It's that simple. Peter knows this. The apostles know this. Jesus taught them this. That our view of God's Word, the Bibles that we brought in here or the Bibles we have on our phone, our view of what we're reading determines how we are living our lives. If there wasn't any connection to this, Peter would not bring it up. So let's look at the doctrine of inspiration, this, this belief. First you have the doctrine itself and then you have, that's the truth, and then you have the inspiration, that is how we got the truth. So the doctrine of the Bible or God's Word is that God proclaims that He speaks and everything that He says is true. So that's the belief. That's what Scripture attests to itself. That when you approach this, you are reading something that is absolutely trustworthy and reliable. In our statement of faith, we talk about the doctrine of inspiration. The Word of God is inerrant obviously without error, and also infallible. That is, no matter how you search through it, 
you're not going to find any error in it. Why is that? Because it comes from God who's holy, perfect, and there is no evil in him. There's not little one little inclination of any kind of manipulation or deception in his word. It's just as pure as truth can be. Comes from his pure character and it is granted to us. It is absolutely trustworthy. That's why Peter says to the people, if you pay attention to the prophetic word, you'll do well, in fact, he says, you'll do well to pay attention. So, when we're reading the Bible, we're not reading the latest New York Times bestseller. Uh, we're We're not reading the whims of man. We're not reading the wisdom of man. Uh, It's not the book of man's interpretation, how enlightened he became about the meaning of life and how we should live it. We, We can't just throw our meaning into it when we teach it or explain it to our kids and misinterpret it or when we explain it and teach it to our Sunday school classes or our Bible studies. We're not to play fast and loose with God's word because it's his word, not our word. So we are not to try to make it say what we really wished it said. We're not to make it passionate about the things that we're passionate about. We are to be in line with God's word and pay attention to this. Scripture doesn't change the meaning of Scripture doesn't change with every generation. And sometimes you wouldn't know that, would you? Because we like to impose our preferences on God's Word instead of letting His Word rule our lives. And sometimes we get the impression that there are, there are truths in God's Word that we just kind of change to our liking. So each generation has a different view of it. That's not the case. And that's why when you study hermeneutics, the science of interpretation, you do a Bible study, they will teach you to what is God saying? That's the first thing we got to find out here, not what you want it to say. What's the original meaning? Uh, Ironically, in our nation right now, uh, as if we need something else to be divisive, divisive about, You've heard words thrown out in the news about originalists and reconstructionists. What are they talking about? You have those people in the United States who believe that the Constitution, the text, the written word from our forefathers, we are to understand it as it was originally written by the men and their times. What would they have meant by this sentence? What did they mean by the word happiness when they wrote it? That's an originalist. That's how we're to interpret the Constitution. Reconstructionists say, uh, well, no, we need to interpret it according to what means the most to us in our day and time. What's important to us wasn't important to them. We have new issues to deal with. So we kind of have to tweak it and reconstruct it to fit where we are in our generation and in our thinking. That's kind of similar to what we have in the Bible. We have people and even Bible scholars who want to make it say what they think it should say. Make it even wiser, smarter, or bring it up to date. 
But it's not Plato. God's word, God's word isn't Plato. We each get a little clump of it and we get to make whatever we want out of it. That's why Jesus' whole life, if you study the Gospels, which we do, what, how did he live? Completely according to the Word of God. He gave his life to it. And everything he did, of course, was a fulfillment to what had already been written. But he, as God the man, entrusted himself to God's spoken word. And that's why we hear, it is written, it is written, it is written. Even the demons knew when to flee. Sometimes the most vile creatures in the universe are wiser than we are. They understand the power of the spoken word. And when Jesus spoke to the demons, they obeyed. So Jesus gives himself to Scripture. He lives by Scripture. He depends on the power of the written word. He bends to it, Scripture tells us. He bends his will, not my will, but yours. And where do you find the will of God but in the written word of God? So it carries God's ideas, God's thoughts, God's heart, His mind. When you read the Bible, you are literally reading the Word of God. Corky has quoted John Piper in here several times when he says, you know, we're always talking about, if I could just hear from God, oh, I just need to hear from you, God. And Piper says, if you want to hear from God, uh, read the Bible. Because it's filled with what God has already spoken. It's true, it's reliable. So that's the the doctrine itself, the truth of God. Well, what about the inspiration? The inspiration tells us how God's spoken, but how did we get it? He inspires man. So what that means is, it says, through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit moves on the mind, heart, soul of man, the, the, the being of man, to incline him, prompt him, to pen words that are the very words of God. And he uses man in all his faculties, his personality. You have different writing styles. So he utilizes how he created individuals, the way they think, to convey his ideas. The final product is 100% God's words. Not a mix. There's not a little bit of Paul in his writings or a little bit of Peter. This is God speaking through inspiring these men. All Scripture is God-breathed. So mankind are His instruments to bring His written Word. The final product, though it goes through man, is the Word of God. You have different styles. You have poetry. You have have Jeremiah's poetic style to convey the truths of God. Uh, You have Moses' legal, legal courtroom mind, kingly mind, because he was raised in Egyptian high family, the royal family. You have his style that brings us the commandments. You have in the Gospels, you have Luke's uh, reporter, historical style where he actually goes out and interviews people about the resurrection and about Christ, and then he reports it back and he compiles it. So there's different styles, and he uses different people according to who they are and what they bring to the table. 
You got John's style, just his simple message of love. Look at all the books that he read, that he wrote. Love, it's the love of God. That was his emphasis, and that's how God used him. So it's not a mix. It's inspiration is not dictation. Where, like in Mormonism with Joseph Smith, he said that he's literally hearing the words of God and writing them down. That's how we know that they're not from him. Or some would say that uh, the apostles or other religious figures fall into some kind of religious trance and they wake up and next thing you know, oh, I have this, this scroll in front of me with words on it. I guess God did that through me. Wonder what it says. Inspiration is God, the, the apostles or Old Testament, New Testament. These people of God were fully aware of what God was doing. They were aware of what was going on in the world. The Holy Spirit moved upon them. So Timothy Keller says there are a lot of great works in history that we can learn from. But in the end, they're all human documents. And it's always an author's interpretation. I have my interpretation. They have their interpretation. But Peter's saying, no, that's not the case. Though human, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here's what this means, he says. God, because he's in complete control of everything, always sovereign over everything, can actually produce people who have been prepped by everything in their entire lives to sit down and write Exactly what God wants them to write every word. Carried by the Holy Spirit. And that's the doctrine of the inspiration of the very word of God. If that's true, what, what does that mean to us? If this book is that reliable, that accurate, then how am I to approach it? See, not all people believe in the doctrine of inspiration or even in the Word of God or God. So obviously, they're not going to come to this book and they're not going to do anything or feel any accountability to do anything written in it. But for those that say, no, this is... My rule for life and doctrine. This is my absolute guide. How do we approach it? What role does God's word have in our lives today? We can approach it objectively and say, well, of course I believe everything in the word of God is true. I believe God spoke to us. And that's true. But when you realize that God didn't just speak to us, but that God speaks to you personally through this word, it takes on a little different meaning. See, because it it contains a variety of history, poetry, but also in here are commands. Where God tells his people, the people of this earth, what to do. How to live as the highest level 
of truth. So therefore, when we believe in the doctrine and inspiration, what we are to understand is that this word is actually not just some book of interest and a book with helpful tips when I happen to need guidance in my life, when I'm not doing okay on my own, but that this book is absolutely our authoritative to my actions, to my thoughts. God's Word sets boundaries for every area of life. It, it speaks into every area of our lives. Some things are just really black and white. and other, so, uh, Some boundaries are like hard lines. This is right and this is wrong. And others are, are wider lines where all the way over here is absolutely wrong and all the way over here is absolutely right. But you have a little bit of freedom in here. It's not as clear. But it's boundary after boundary. He speaks into every area of our lives. This book, and it's only this thick. Couldn't take more than a couple hours to read, right? A couple years, maybe. Have, have you read through the whole thing? That's a task. He tells us where marriage came from. You know, we have people in the world getting married. Where did that even come from? And how are we supposed to relate to one another as husband and wife? He tells us what fatherhood looks like, what motherhood looks like. He tells us what to think about life. Is it precious or not? Are children just products for us to do what we want with them? He he tells us why we work, how we're supposed to work, everything that means anything in our lives, our possessions, how we're supposed to look at our possessions, what they're even there for, what purpose they serve. Instruments, music, singing, he speaks into every area. Love, romance, evil, hatred, he teaches us all about these things. What to avoid, what to seek. Longings of our heart. All of this, and it is spoken as trustworthy and true, and it is in the form, in some cases, of commands. I hear this sometimes, well, I'm, I'm a Christian... But I don't take the Bible literally because there are things in there that, well, I just can't accept. There's teachings in here I can't accept. They don't seem to fit into our culture. And, and some are just too outdated. Some are just sound really too oppressive. Um, and really, some of these commands are impossible. So, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't really trust or rely on everything that the Bible says. Usually... What that means is I, I, I consider myself a Christian, but I just don't really want to do everything the Bible says. That's usually what it means. I don't take everything in the Bible literally either because not everything in the Bible is supposed to be taken literally. The Bible tells us how to read it. If it's poetry or if it's a, if it's a parable, you don't take a parable literally. It's a story. So the Bible tells us how to approach it. But when it comes down to commands, you'll know it when it is something that we are supposed to do. Culturally wise sayings, opinions. So when the Bible says, Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I don't take that literally as if, oh, you mean Peter is Satan? Oh, well, that changes things. I didn't see that coming. Then we, the Bible, we have to understand it in its context and its meaning and how it was written. 
But what we can't say is that I'm a father follower of Jesus, but I don't believe everything that is written applies to me. Because if we say we believe in Jesus, who absolutely believed everything that was written was true and gave his life to it, how can we follow somebody that does that? We can't unless we believe the same and act the same. Otherwise, we're going to go in different directions at some point. I'm also reminded in the garden when everything went, as, uh, went afoul, what was the, the leverage or the fulcrum to, to move us out of the graces of God, but that those tempting, juicy words to get our wheels turning. Did God really say? Man, that's hermeneutics right there in the very first scenes of humanity. What are we going to do with the Word of God? Does He mean it? Is He withholding things from us? Is He deceiving us? Is this all a trick? Did God say? So we don't want to follow a Jesus of our own imagination because we've cut things out of God's Word just because they're not convenient to us. Something that Lisa and I read years ago that has been powerful in our lives, and I can't remember who said it. It might have been uh, one of the Trip brothers or something, but truth diminishes the closer it gets to our hearts. And what that means is the things that we really love in life that are really important to us. When God says hard things, like He says hard things to people that when it's not you, it's not close to you, it's easy to believe and see very clearly. But when God's commands get close to you, what you value, and you realize the things that you might have to give up, it kind of starts to diminish. It starts to lose its authority. And what has happened is we've allowed our hearts to love things in a way that Scripture says is not a healthy way. So it, it diminishes. And we see... Believers who, when they're confronted with certain things that they love, say, say a child, we have, um, well, we have this whole movement of Christian homosexuality. And it's people, what, what do you do if one of your children says, I identify as a homosexual? Well, of course you love your child. And now all of a sudden that thing out there just came in here. Now what do you believe about homosexuality? Is it right or wrong? What does God say about it? See, the closer it gets to us, when we have to wrestle with it, it becomes difficult. But God is our rule of authority. And here's how I want to start to wind this down. The fact that God speaks authoritative into our lives about so many issues is actually to our advantage. You'd never know it. People don't really view the Bible as something that's to our advantage. We often view it as these terrible, bothersome, burdensome commands that rob me of all the joys of life. It is absolutely to our advantage. Why? Because whether you realize in life, we are always looking for somebody to listen, looking for answers. We're looking for answers to things that we wrestle with and struggle. We're, we're looking for guidance. We're looking for direction because we're constantly confronted with decisions. 
Should I really obey my parents? Well, but what about in this situation? I have to obey him here even in this situation? So we're constantly looking for guidance. You're reading information that is leading your life. And it is speaking. You're allowing it to be the authority. You're making, you're saying, yep, that's what I'm going to do with my life. That's a decision I'm going to make. Now, there's a shift that's taken place. In the past, most of the time, the, the authorities came from outside. It was the church was speaking or the, the, uh, the leaders of your culture or your parents or your mentor, people that were reliable figures, somebody that you really trusted in. And they'd say, kind of like Apostle Paul says, do what I do, you know, follow in my steps as I follow Christ. So the authority came from outside, but the shift came. I know that you're aware of more recently in our culture. And now what we're told is don't listen to any outside voice to tell you what to do and how to live. Only listen to your own thoughts. Listen to your own voice. Don't let other people ever tell you what to do. You be you. Block out all those negative voices that are telling you what you don't want to hear. You be you. Isn't, don't you see the irony of that? That our culture says, do not listen to any outside voice. What did you just do? You just heard an outside voice. Did that come from your own mind? Probably not. You were taught that. How many times did that thought actually originate in somebody's mind? Culture is telling us what to do. Culture is serving as our authority, our voice. Because the pattern of this world or the spirit of this world, as Paul tells us in Romans, is very active. The enemy is behind these things that come our way. The enticements of ideas and ideologies. And so the, the culture that tells us don't listen to anybody actually tells us exactly what to do and who to listen to. So really, whereas it promises us freedom, it enslaves us. I mean, we, we see, we have a terribly, terrible enslaving culture. And it's only gotten worse. Like, I mean, just think about the, the term cancel culture. What is that? That is total manipulation. That, that is total control. I'm going to control you with my actions and my passion. And we're, we're enslaved to it because we've been sold the bill of goods. Don't listen to any of these voices, which turns out to be usually the church or the voices we actually need to hear. Parents, people that really care about us. And we trade that in for the voice of the culture. We've accepted these things, but we're looking, we're vulnerable. We're looking for praise. We're looking for approval. We're looking for acceptance. And so we allow ourselves to be controlled by something. And often it's our culture. Now just think about the wisdom of listening only to your own mind, your own thoughts, and no other voice. If you think about that, the decisions that you've made, the way that you have looked at life through your 
years. You see, your your 16-year-old self, you getting all this, Ava? Your 16-year-old self looks at your 5-year-old self as pretty foolish. But when you were five five years old, the things you believed and the way you lived, the things that were important, you thought you were right on. But you look at yourself and you think, I can't even believe I thought the... uh, Sorry if I ruined this, a spoiler, but I can't even believe I thought the Easter Bunny was real. And then at 30 years old, we look at our 16-year-old self. Now, these are all, right? We're living in our own head. And throughout time, we can look back and think, what was I thinking? How, How could I even draw these conclusions? What a bozo. We think, we look back at 16 year old. how could I have worn my pants like that? How could I have worn my, go out of the house with my hair like that? Now, when you did it, that was the thing to do in your head. And your body was at peace with it. Then you become 50 and your 50-year-old self looks at your 30-year-old self and you think, man, what? What was I thinking about life? Why would I ever cheat on my wife? I don't have a marriage. My kids are gone. I don't have relationships. What was I thinking? Well, it made perfect sense at the time when I gave myself to my own thoughts and didn't listen to the voices that are outside. Can't believe the great loss and then perhaps at 70, our 70-year-old self looks back at our 50-year-old self and says, what, why didn't I take better care of myself? Why didn't I listen to the doctors? Why didn't I eat right or, or, or make healthy choices when I knew that was right? Well, that's because you were listening to yourself and living according to your own voice. And we're supposed to trust our own thoughts. And let them be the authority of our lives. When, when, when we just look back five years from now and see ourselves as a fool and an idiot in most cases. That's foolishness. And we're supposed to listen to the wisdom of the culture. We're supposed to trade this in for the wisdom of the culture. You realize what's being jammed down our throats from the culture and the media. And now we have the internet which makes us even more... Vulnerable makes it great that you can Google about anything. There's an advantage to that. I use it all the time. What kind of motor oil do I need to use in this vehicle or whatever? How much? But you also get all the junk with it. So the wisdom of the times, the wisdom of our culture. I mean, you're, you're at this point where, as I said last, think last week, the wisdom of the culture is that a, a baby before it's born is indeed a human. It's got man flesh in there, but it's not a person yet until you get the thumbs up from some powers to be. And yet you can look at science, the things that our government taught you in school about how babies are made and how they grow in the womb and so forth, then you know it can't be true. And then we're supposed to be told today that our very gender is fluid. 
when all you have to do is, I mean, you really got to deny common sense and science and facts and evidence and believe this, that there's not a difference. It's, it's a, the difference between male and female is strictly a social construct. We made this up. And that's why men act like they do and women act like they do. It's strictly that we, we imposed it upon them. And so we're, I mean, is this wisdom? It goes against common sense and logic and even the science that we have been taught. As you just look at what's happening. Look at the decisions that people are making. Look at the destruction and the carnage in families and children. We're lost. We're feeding ourselves foolish ideas. I'm supposed to believe all that? Man, all of a sudden the Bible looks pretty good. God looks pretty wise with His, his teachings and His stories and His plan of redemption. It just makes sense. If you want to know who you are, you don't have to get the approval of man, searching and scratching your whole life. You just look in God's Word. He tells you who you are. He tells you why you're here, what you're supposed to be doing with your life. And the thing that we all want, I just want to feel the best I can. I want to be as satisfied and I can with, as I can with this life. It's right in here. You do that by joyfully, gratefully worshiping God, your Creator. And his laws, as we say in our series, he makes beautiful things. And his laws are there to keep his things beautiful so that we in our own foolishness will not ruin them. So what are we saying? We're saying that the liberation that the world's wisdom offers us is actually enslaving. And that what we really need to be liberated from is ourselves, our own unwise thinking and desires and temptations that come from our sinful nature, and that's what God's Word does. Saves us from ourselves. See, God is the answer. J.I. Packer says, God our Maker knows all about us before we say anything, but we can know nothing about Him unless He tells us. Therefore, God sends his word to us to woo us as well as instruct us. Let's just say you have a child uh, learning to crawl, perhaps walk. That stage it's getting into everything and you got to watch the cabinets and what you put in the lower cabinets. But lo and behold, your child crawled over underneath the kitchen cabinet and there's some cleaning, toxic cleaning chemical bottle. Now, this child is at the age where it loves colors and it's learned already to drink out of a bottle or a sippy cup and it sees this cleaning agent as something yummy and gets in there and somehow got the top off the bottle and has it like this, getting ready to enjoy it. What are you going to do? You're going to shout no or something or anything loudly to get their attention and run as fast as you can to get that bottle away from that child. The child doesn't understand what you're doing. It just understands fancy colors and yummy tastes. And this looks like my sippy cup. 
And you grab it away and you give that child a firm look and you scared it. And now that child is crying. It's in a puddle of tears. You ruined its moment. And then when that child is 15 years old and you're sitting around the table telling the story. That child will look at you and realize, thanks for not letting me get my way. And they will see that act that broke their little hearts and caused all those tears as a tremendous act of love. See, because you understood something that they did not understand at that time. And so you intervened. If we expect children to do what they're told to do even when they don't understand, why would we not do what we're told to do in God's Word even when we don't understand? And if you're going to read the Bible, you're going to find things in there that are going to tell you hard things. It is unavoidable. Wills will clash. And we have to make a decision. Who do we really trust? And what is best? See, the distance between God's wisdom and our wisdom is much greater than the distance between a parent's wisdom and a child's wisdom. So how do we approach the Bible? Who is our authority in our lives? What teachings are we pulling into our minds to formulate how we think life ought to be? What we want to look like when people look at us. Whose wisdom are we really trusting in? And my encouragement is that we would all, as God's children, gladly put ourselves under His loving authority and embrace His wisdom and His truths and walk with Him like Enoch walked with God. So let's remember, as Peter says, remember. We'll build on the rock, as we've been doing for many, many years. So that we don't get washed away with the sand. And let's remember today that no matter what enticing things are going on in our world and the distractions, to be more captivated with God than anything. May God bless the preaching of His Word.